Before this episode starts, I want to share with you how I save some costs doing this podcast in collaboration with uh, Corporate Training Solutions Australia, um, run by James and Yoland. Um, when I mentioned my interest of doing um, this interview series, they were very supportive and um, allowed me to use their paid business Zoom account, um, which allowed me to live stream um, to Facebook, uh, my interviews, which you can't do on the free uh, version. And so I've known them for the past five years, um, very biz, uh, relationship focused with regards to um, business. Um, and so he's definitely the type of, both of them are definitely the type of people that I want in my professional network. Uh, CTS, Corporate Training Solutions um, Australia provides professional development courses um, and everyday end user software skills. Reach out to them if you're looking for training for your organisation, uh, government departments and private. They've worked with companies all over Australia and the Pacific, Southeast Asia. Send them an email at info at ctstraining.com.au. Hey, this is episode three. I'm chatting to Adam Strongziak. Uh, we work together in the snow sports industry. Um, here in Brisbane and so um, he's been very kind to be vulnerable about um, his position that's been, been made redundant within the tourism industry um, he's got a very strong background in business um, also has an MBA as well so um, I, I sense a, a strong um, resilience within him during the season and he said he's actually looking forward to spending time with his family during this season on of COVID-19 very unknown so um, I really enjoyed chatting with him um, I also enjoyed working with him previously so um, hopefully you do too thanks good morning it's uh, Malaki here um, hope everyone's doing well I've got another guest that I'm chatting to today um, Adam Strongzak sorry I haven't even asked that we say Strongzak but Strongzak is pretty close man Oh, you're in the same boat as me as a uh, 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 last name that's a bit funny to pronounce. Um, so appreciate that, mate. Um, but yeah, Adam, who I'll uh, go back to in a sec. Um, we work together um, and I'm really keen to hear a little bit more about his story in terms of um, business. He's owned his business previously um, in the water sports industry um, and he successfully exited that. He also has an MBA. Um, so he's got both practical and theoretical knowledge, which um, is really good um, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, uh, he, I guess he first encountered uh, snow sports, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, when you're at school in the USA. So uh, I'm going to correct you, it's been earlier than, than school years. Um, I started skiing when I was four mm. and snowboarding when I was six. Um, well, the reason for it is the, the place where I grew up and, and my parents, of course. Yeah, yeah. So that, where, where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in southern parts of Poland, so very close to Czech Republic. So from my home, my house, it would be about, you know, half an hour to the snow. So, and my, my father was a ski instructor uh, recreationally. And so he always wanted me to, you know, to ski. So it was a, really a big part of my childhood. Yeah. That's so good, man. Yeah. I'm a um, snow sports lover myself. I guess I stumbled across it just randomly went on a trip with some work colleagues about 10 years ago and never really looked back. So I'm, I'm a little bit jealous that uh, you started earlier in life than I did. And, um, oh, it's definitely fun for anyone who hasn't done snow sports. Um, definitely recommend it, which I want to chat more about that too um, later on in the interview about, you know, snow sports and, you know, what you think going on there and that industry far out in terms of, you know, what's going on, the state of affairs. But um, 
you know, just a little bit about you and me. So we work together at uh, uh, Urban Extreme, which is an adventure park here in Brisbane. Um, and I really enjoyed my time there working with Adam. Uh, he's a very strong manager and leader. And so um, it was just really good for me personally um, just to get out and about and, and be face-to-face -face and, and do something that I really enjoy. So that was um, sort of an indoor uh, snowboarding facility. So that's how we know each other. And we've just sort of kept um, in contact intermittently, um, which has been good. But uh, Adam's an avid surfer, given, you know, there's not a lot of snow in, in uh, southeast Queensland. So I think you went for a surf this morning. You were just telling me about. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. And uh, it was an awesome day, really good conditions. But I must say I was a little bit disappointed in terms of the amount of people that I experienced today in the water. Um, given the fact what's going on in the world right now, social distancing rules weren't really followed. So mm -hmm. I had to actually sacrifice myself and leave. I didn't want to be a part of it. So I'm so going to stay away on the weekends uh, from now on and just say during the week, you know, so I can actually practice the self-isolation rules. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. So there were quite a few number of people there, I believe. There are way too many, you know, and I'm afraid that, you know, if that's continue to be the case it might really influence you know surfing around where i live so i just don't want to be a part of it i agree mate yeah and no, I'm, I'm i'm actually pretty staunch on on that view too for me it's more of a principle so yep. um yeah just wherever i can um i'm going to do my part you know what i mean in terms of just social distancing so yeah i guess right. it, it's it remains to be seen you know what what the state of affairs is there but um i, I like your thought process on that <laughs> just self-projecting yourself out of that situation <laughs> but the swell was really good you know i had to do it <laughs> so you live on the sunshine coast that's correct yeah i live in little mountain so that's calandra area ah nice okay and so you're married with two kids as well yes i have a wife and i have two beautiful children a son that's four years old and his name is timon and my daughter, she's a little bit over two years old, and her name is Emma. And the interesting part was um, my son was born in Italy, and my uh, daughter was born in Australia, but our family is originally from Poland, like I said before. So wow. it's really funny with the passports, you know, they have the Polish passport. One is born in uh, Carbonia, Italy, and the other one is born in Brisbane, Australia. So that's pretty cool, you know? Uh, I know exactly what you're saying, mate. I, I myself, I sort of, I was born in one country and grew up in another country, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about, mate. I can, I can 100% relate. But it's, I mean, it's good to have that. We kind of touched on it previously before we started recording. It's good to have that cultural element, I guess. You know, in terms of yeah, what you've been exposed to, and um, I, I really like that. That there's different perspectives in there. It, um, yeah, yeah, I really think it opens your mind. You know, like having that different view from different cultural perspectives it really gives you a broader picture of everything that's going on yeah 100 percent, man yeah no it's, that's really cool um so yeah uh so you're just moving on now we'll change gears a little bit um so your previous role with urban extreme i guess um that was you were there for a while um obviously like for um reasons beyond anyone's control like the government has introduced um, just levels where businesses can't operate anymore. So you're not with them anymore? Um, I'm not with them anymore. I've been with them for more than a year. I started uh, just like you as a casual casual instructor, you know, doing my, my lessons. And then they promoted me to a snow sports manager where I was in charge of that uh, indoor ski area. 
Um, and then shortly before the legislation came in place where um, businesses were basically forced to close their doors, they made my role redundant. Um, so I'm no longer with them anymore. I mean, I really appreciate my time that I was there. I really thank them for the, for the opportunity. It was great for my personal and business growth. Yeah, but this chapter of my life, it's, it's over. It's time to move on. That's really good. I love that attitude, man. Just, um, yeah, it sounds like from your own personal perspective, you know, you're really just um, taking ownership of that, which, um, again, like no one, it's difficult. Sometimes it can be difficult, right? But I really like your view on that. Um, so it's I just, yeah, I guess I applaud you in that regard. Um, and what's, so what's up next for you, I guess, in terms of um, in the future? Like, is there any immediate plans or you're looking to revive the professional surfing career? Well, that could be an option as well, maybe. Uh, I don't think I'm going to revive something that was never existing, you know? I never had a professional <laughs> surfing, surfing career. I, I was a professional snowboarder. Yeah, um, yeah. Semi-professional wakeboarder for a while as well, uh, while I was doing my business in Italy with the water sports. Surfing is something that I picked up, I mean, recently, a little bit over a decade ago. And this is just fun for me. This is the way that I can connect with nature, that I can, you know, uh, be in the water. This is my passion. So I don't think I want to go into professional surfing. I'm, I think I'm too old for it, quite honestly, as well. Okay. And as of immediate plans, well, for now, uh, I think I'm just going to stand on standby and enjoy what I can because, I mean, we are all in a very difficult situation right now. Um, you know, a lot of people, especially in my industry, they are out of work. A lot of them worry about income. Yeah. A lot of them worry about their future and they try to, you know, make things happen now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a different approach. I have a family. I have a yes. lot of passions. Yeah. And I'm blessed with the fact that... Um, I can kind of be on the standby for a couple of months and I'm going to take advantage of it. And sure. I recently spoke to my partner and you know, there, bad, there is a bad situation, but a lot of good can come out of it. Right now I can kind of have like that guilt free stay at home time, you know, commit to my kids, commit to my relationship, commit to my passions. And, and basically, you know, keep my eyes open for the opportunities that might arise. I'm going to take an advantage of that and, and, and really focus on, on my personal growth and my personal life. I love that, man. <clears throat> That's, thank you for sharing all that too. Um, I think it's really inspiring. Yeah. Just uh, reflecting upon all that. And um, just, just back on the snow sports industry, I guess, just as a whole, I, I haven't really been following any of it and you may not have maybe, um, but I, I suspect they're being impacted as well. So in terms like we actually had, um, a trip planned to Europe at the end of this year, right? To um, my wife's family is originally from Austria. So they're keen to go over there and we were planning on, like I love snowboarding, so I want to spend quite a bit of time in the mountains, but for obvious reasons, like we've just canceled that. But have, have you had an insight into just the, the snow sports industry in general? Like how, how are they navigating the season right now? And uh, I guess a follow-up to that is, can they pivot? Like what's, yeah, is, is this kind of... Um, I wouldn't say the end, but what, what, what are they doing right now? And then how, how can they recover, I guess? And, you know, your expert opinion, given you've been in the industry quite a while. Well, I think you have to kind of, we have to divide now the, the snow sports industry into the hemispheres as well, just to have a clearer picture of what's going on. Um, if you look at the Northern Hemisphere, basically the season is coming to, to the end. You know, we're in March, so we've got April. It's pretty much the end of the season. So I suspect they're going to be doing the same thing what they were doing before. So basically, you know, slowly getting ready for the next season, which is almost a year from now. So hopefully by that time, 
uh, things will be a lot different. So um, obviously all the resorts that are in the Northern Hemisphere, they do have other activities going on in the summer, right? Like mountain bike riding yes. and hiking, uh, sightseeing and all that stuff. And that obviously is going to get a huge hit uh, this summer. And now if you look at the Southern Hemisphere season, which is, you know, approaching basically, I think that's gone. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, wow. Because, you know, flights are not uh, functioning. It doesn't look like they're going to be functioning anytime soon. Even if they will, I think there's going to be a huge fear factor involved in that. So people will not yes. want to travel. Wow. Um, so I really don't know what they're going to do, how they're going to navigate that, especially in the Southern Hemisphere. So we're talking about, obviously, Australia. We're talking about New Zealand. Um, don't know what's going to happen to them. I hope that the Northern Hemisphere season is still plausible, you know? Yeah, yeah. So now is the time where they're going to be getting ready, where they're going to be, you know, preparing the slopes, uh, maintaining the equipment, um, you know, planning the activities for next season that made them more competitive over other resorts. It's, it's that's my take on it. I'm, I'm not sure what, 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 what they will do, um, but that's my take on it. No, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, right? Like, um, yeah, how, how, how do you pivot, I guess, in terms of, yeah, your core business and functionality. And I actually like what you said, which I never even thought about, um, was that fear factor, right? Like, even though obviously things are closing, um, you know, people's reluctance, I guess, to get involved with particular yeah. type, types of gatherings, just in general, which includes that type of thing. So you got to remember that you also have to divide, you know, snow sports, that you can divide them into, let's say, professionals and recre recreational users, right? The professionals, it's a very small part. So that will take place because it's basically those people's jobs, right? Yes. Um, but the recreational, this is what makes the world go around in terms of snow sports, the recreation part of it. And I think a lot of people will will refrain from traveling for a while now. Wow. That's, yeah, that interesting times, I guess. Hopefully I can trap on the snowboard, the snowboard again and get, get a bit itchy. Yeah, the crazy thing is like when you look, okay, we're talking about snow sports right now only, right? But look at all the industries that are like directly connected or even interconnected to the whole snow sports industry, you know? Like the whole hospitality thing, and, mm. you know, all the hotels, restaurants, even, you know, dry cleaning, all that's like, it's all interconnected. So if one falls, it's like a dom domino effect, you know, one falls apart, everyone is out of work. So the impacts of it, can be just tremendous you know there are resorts in the, in austria and switzerland and france and italy that solely live off snow sports tourism and, and that's not only the resort there you know other services connected around that if there's no movement everything goes down it's a bit of a reliance isn't it you could say where that's absolutely the center of absolutely. where all the people are and all the ancillary services now really interesting mate really uh, good insights um yeah, the, the other question I had, I guess, um, I mean, you know, bit of a back, back step or sidestep. I'm pretty big on um, business and, and I guess, you know, I haven't owned my business before, but yeah, given you have run one before um, in terms of what you've seen and then, um, you know, I think you've got about 15 years experience or 20 years experience now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, I had my own business for about a little bit more over than uh, eight years, but I've been in business since I, since I graduated my undergrad degree in the U.S. So I graduated that in 2006. Yeah. So they have, yeah, about 14 years in yeah. the business. 
What's the question I had was what's one thing like in your experience and personal opinion, like how do you, in terms of start, right? How do you, what's yeah. one thing that um, you've learned and you, you hold true by in terms of managing staff to uh, run an effective or a smooth team? Yeah, uh, you probably experienced that a little bit because you were on my team uh, in Urban Extreme. So I firmly believe on not micromanaging people, okay? So especially when it comes to instructing sports, for instance, uh, where majority of my business was surrounded, uh, surrounded with, you know, instructing the sports, right? And you know that every person has their own personal style of instructing. What works for me might not work for you. I might not personally like it, but it's going to work for a specific target market, right? Wow. So to run an effective team, I think it's very important to build a framework of like, okay, there are certain things that we have to comply with, but how are you going to do it? It's your own personal choice, okay? It gives that sense of empowerment as well. So people know that they're actually, they're in charge of their own work. They're not being told what to do. They're giving, given a certain freedom. And I think that really motivates people to work to the highest standard they possibly can. Yeah. And, and in effect, it's a very good thing because then you have, the, for instance, as an example of instructors, right? You have an instructor that's really good, like let's say with middle-aged females. And the other one is really good with teenage boys. The wow. other one is good with, you know, males in their thirties where each one of them needs a totally different approach, right? Yeah. And basically by, by empower, empowering them to do uh, the instruction on their own, you kind of know where to place them. Wow. So it's a win-win situation, in my opinion. Understanding that dynamic, yeah. I, uh, where, where did you learn that, I guess? Was there, can you, it's a bit of a broad question, but is it yeah, I think, know, part of... I think it's trial and error. I think that the first things when I started to notice it, when I worked for someone actually in Greece as an instructor, skateboarding instructor and it kind of like you know it evolved organically um, through the place where I worked and I just kind of kept it kept it as, as a standard because I mean you know don't change things that work so if they work just don't change it you know I guess it's very different from industry to the industry but this industry is so particular that it works extremely well uh, I even implemented that in the in the hospitality part of my business because part of my business I owned a very small restaurant as well and uh, so we did the same with the waitresses we did the same with with the, with the cooks you know we would have you know once every fortnight a meeting we would talk about it and but we basically just created a framework and certain procedures that had, had to be complied with and basically let it be and try to control it somehow through the meetings you know see uh, the quality uh, yeah <clears throat> now that's that's really cool and i back on what you're saying about um, not micromanaging. I mean, personally, obviously, because we work together, that's probably one of my pet peeves, I guess, is when someone I'm either working with or reporting to, um, I, I feel like I don't have a sense of control over my work. So what I'm trying to say is I really enjoyed working with you when we did because I noticed that straight away. And it was really cool because I think um, it might have been like the first or second day, you, you, were, you basically just enabled me. You said, oh, off you go. <laughs> it was as if like, oh, okay, yep. You, you've had like your training now, off you go. And so I really appreciate that because um, I think that's how I personally learned as well in terms of, oh, okay, like you said, you just give the framework and the procedure and the structure, like the parameters, and then you just let people go within those boundaries and it, and it really helped me personally. So I, I like that style, mate. It was, it's probably why we got along very well. Here. We're working together. 
So, um, so where, just back on sort of, uh, yeah, where you went to school and growing up, where, where did you, um, where, where did you grow up and did, you know, part of your schooling, like, um, inform, I guess, part of, you know, how you went into business, um, and how you, how you got into the sports industry, uh, snow sports industry and stuff like that. I hope you have time because this is a very complicated, complicated and lengthy story. Um, well, I was born in Poland, time, like man. I said before. Yeah, I was born in Poland, like I said before, uh, southern parts of Poland, Silesia region. My dad was an instructor, so that's um, how I got into snow sports. And uh, my dad was not a professional instructor. My dad is a physician, so that was his passion. Um, and by the time I was 14 or 15, maybe 16, I don't remember exactly, um, I was sent off to a student exchange program to the United States, okay? Um, that was part of my high school. And I basically, that was the last time I lived in Poland. Um, I went to high school in Austin, Texas. I graduated in Austin, Texas from high school. Then I went back to Poland for about a year, continued my professional snowboarding career a little bit while attending college. And then about after a year, I decided to go back to the United States. I ended up going enrolling in college in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I enrolled in Augsburg University. And at that time, it was called Augsburg College. So I spent there four years and graduated with a Bachelor of International Business and worked in outside sales right after that for Rico Business Solutions, where I was an account executive, basically selling document management systems, so to speak. And then I decided I'm going to go back to Europe to fix the Polish economy. Yeah, I went back. Nice. Took me about, yeah, it took me about four months to realize, well, this is really not a place for me. So I left to Greece and basically got a job as a beach boy for a company called Wind for Fun, which, is, which was a kiteboarding and windsurfing school. I started windsurfing when I was really young as well. My parents were into that, so I started windsurfing when I was seven. So very shortly after I arrived in Rodos Island, which is in Greece, as a beach boy, carrying equipment for about a month, they made me a, a windsurfing instructor because of the skills that I had. And I started up picking up kiteboarding. And obviously that's a seasonal work. So I would spend there, you know, six months and then I would go off to the mountains to teach. Um, I never worked at the resort. I always worked with camps. So usually with teenage camps, uh, coaching freestyle or racing and snowboarding. So I would spend, you know, a week or two with one group, then pick up another group, pick up another group. And that would last, you know, for three, four months. And I was doing that for about three years where I, met my ex-business partner and we decided, well, you know, why don't we do something on our own? And we both were involved in both winter and, and water sports. And we just kind of knew from talking to people that in Europe, people love Italy. They love Italy because Italy, food, people, sun, vibe, you know, Italy is great. So we basically just looked at the map and we we're like, well, where would be the windiest place in Italy? Right? <laughs> And so our obvious choice was Sardinia. Sardinia is right in the middle of the uh, Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so you get the winds from, you know, from the north, from the east, from the south. The two prevalent winds that hit Sardinia are Mistral and Scirocco. Mistral is blowing from northeast, whereas uh, um, Scirocco is blowing from southeast. I think so. That was a long, long time ago, though. Good man. Uh, I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. 
Uh, so I basically packed up a trailer, got a car, hopped on, and basically drove all around the island, found a place which has a Venturi effect. It's an effect of having like a small funnel where, where the landscape is built in a way that the wind enters and basically it speeds up because you have a funnel. Um, so we found that place. It was extremely rural. There was nothing there, you know, nothing, just fishermen. Wow. And we basically just parked our car there, rented a house there and started marketing to Polish uh, windsurfing schools that are on Hell Peninsula. Windsurfing and kiteboarding is quite big in Poland. So we just started marketing to friends. So we just started basically bringing friends, you know, that would stay at our house and we would just give them very simple lessons, you know, charge them just a little bit of money. And it kind of spiraled from that. And then we, after two seasons, we ended up actually renting a huge space, which used to be an old nightclub. Okay? It was a huge warehouse with a kitchen facility right on the beach. Um, everything on the gray zone, parts of the buildings were illegal. You know, it's Italy. It's very different business environment. That's what we are used to here in Australia. <laughs> So, yeah, we rented that. And um, in the meantime, flights opened to our advantage directly from Poland, from a couple of different cities. Um, yeah, and yeah, and it just basically picked up. Uh, so we started with just uh, kiteboarding and, uh, and wakeboarding. We had a wakeboarding boat to begin with. Um, and then we added windsurfing. Windsurfing, it's very hard in terms of logistics because... The equipment is really big. You have to have a lot of storage area, which we didn't have, uh, which we didn't have at the at the beginning of our business. But once we got the place, we actually had the physical space to store the equipment. So we expanded. We expanded then through surfing as well and a little bit of cycling. And we added, you know, a little restaurant to the service that we had. And we rented like an apartment complex that we would rent out to to our students, to our guests. So we basically had like a full solution for the, the, all those disciplines. So you would come for you know, a week or two. Uh, we would do everything besides getting the flights for you. So picking you up from the airport, getting you to your place where you stay, then transferring you from the place where you stay to the center where we were doing the lessons, you know, providing you with food. And then at the end of the day, basically putting you back to, to the place where you stay. So that was the whole solution. Wow. Yeah. So you basically just built that from the ground, right? Yeah, uh, from basically exactly, I think, 10 kites, four boards, one trailer and a car. We built it to a, you know, 35 people, 35 staff business. Um, yeah, with pretty much the whole solution besides, besides the flights, obviously. So, yeah, from ground up. And so you, um, and then, so you successfully exited that too? So, um, yeah. The reason for it was, it was pretty simple um i met my wife in sardinia she's polish as well uh, and we had a kid so sardinia is a beautiful place man like it's lifestyle is amazing people are amazing but then when you think about the kids you know uh, if you think about the fact that um, the unemployment rate on the island is about 40 percent oh wow uh, so that's that's huge uh, educational system you know no offense to anyone Yep. It's not the best. Yep. And we basically didn't see a future for my, my ex-business partner also had a family. So the business wasn't big enough to actually sustain two families, you know? So we decided that, you know, to call it quits. So yeah, I went and sat down and went through the negotiations with my ex-business partner and he decided to buy off 
the 50% of the shares that I had within the business. And wow. we decided to move to Australia to look for, you know, a better life, I guess, you know, more yeah. opportunities for us, more opportunities <clears throat> for the kids. And what, why Australia? How, how did you come to? Water, water sports, water sports, <laughs> you know, uh, pure and simple. Like, like you said before, like surfing is one of my biggest passions. Uh, I love the, the heat. I love the warm. Uh, weather being in the ocean every day and I was thinking about going back to the United States but then well we thought the yeah, Australia would be a better choice you know yep um, a little bit easier also to to basically just make your life here in terms of visas and all that stuff you know I want to be very transparent and um, it was a little bit easier not easy but a little bit easier for my wife to actually get her qualifications reinstated here in Australia whereas in the United States it would be a lot harder and nothing was certain uh, whereas here we had different pathways of actually, you know, making our life here. So uh, we decided to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And so your wife's um, in the health industry. In terms yeah. Yeah. She's industry. a dentist. She's a dentist. Yeah. Working as a dentist. Uh, it was a long journey for her too. So, but you know, without taking a risk, without the work, there are no rewards. Yeah. So we went through a very tough time, but you know, it all went, turned out all right up until now the COVID-19 situation. But like I said before, we're going to embrace it and we're going to love it because what can we do, man? I like that attitude, man. Good, good resilience, I guess, is, is what I'm hearing from you. And do the, um, do the kids follow after you as well in terms of water sports? Are they? Oh, they're really young. So oh, like I said, four, three-year-old. Um, but they do go to, not now, but they were going to swim, swimming school. They're doing awesome. My son, you know, a little bit over four years, he can basically swim almost the entire length of the pool by himself, you know, wow. um, without touching the ground. So that's pretty impressive. Um, my daughter is also, I mean, she's having a blast in the water. So hopefully they can follow the path. You know, I don't want to push him too early because, you know, with all the sports, I think, you know, it's really important the time, when the time is right, you got to do it. First of all, for the kids, kids have to have fun. So if they don't want to do it, don't push them because they're not going to do it in the long run, right? So... Slowly, I'm trying to introduce my kid to, you know, putting them on the surfboard, you know, pushing them in, into the white water, you know, just, you know, ride it to the beach, you know. He's surrounded with the water because he sees me, you know, kiteboarding, wakeboarding, surfing. So it's a big part of his life. So hopefully he will want to be like daddy, you know. <laughs> Take a strong man. He's slowly getting a taste of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's it. No, that's cool, man. Hey, I really enjoyed our time this morning. Um, just uh, some closing remarks, I guess. Um, is is there any, in terms of you know, anyone who's watching this or listening to the podcast um, in either my network or your network, um, anyone that's seen this, what's one thing that um, someone may be able to help um, you, uh, either personally or professionally, um, or in terms of an introduction? Is there anything that anyone could do for you? I mean, if anyone is from your network or my network looking for people that, you know, are resilient for change, they can manage the change, um, I would love to hear from them. Um, yeah. It would be fantastic. Um, managing change in my personal life, basically, that, that's, that's my whole life journey. I went through so many changes that I kind of embraced the change and I think it's good for you. So, I mean, if you need someone like that or you want to talk about it or you want a little bit more insight of how I cope with it, in my personal or my business life. I mean, feel free to reach out. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate that. I'm going to include all the relevant links in this, uh, in this podcast and this interview, but thanks so much, mate, for um, your time this morning. I've really enjoyed chatting to you um, and all the best with everything and we'll chat again soon.
Yeah, Malaki, I want to thank you for the opportunity as well. It's been great. I mean, you reached out to me, uh, which is fantastic. I think it's uh, a lot of good can come out of uh, conversations like that, you know, just getting it out to the world, seeing what, you know, what people are about, what their attitudes are all about. And uh, yeah, so you made it happen, man. So really appreciate that as well. No drama, man. Chat soon. Thanks. All right. Thank you.